Uh, one of our initiatives, main initiatives of our church is that we want to be mission-focused, mission-minded, and uh, we try to do that both, um, you know, foreign and domestic, um, out of the country, in the country, and as most of you know, this past week, uh, Matt, Lee, and myself, we had the opportunity to go to Cambodia, and we went to Phnom Penh, uh, the capital there in Cambodia, and we had the opportunity uh, to go to the pastor's conference. Now, uh, as I say the pastor's conference, please understand this. There's probably about anywhere from 30, 40, maybe 50 pastors. I'm not 100% sure uh, that were there, but they invite their families. They invite their church members, and they also invite people in their, in their communities to come be a part of this. And I'm not 100% sure how they invite these people to do so, but they did. And uh, there was close to, I'm going to say, maybe in between, you know, 250, 275 people. It could have even been close to 300 people uh, that were there in attendance for this conference. Uh, this past week, we had the opportunity to teach from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the theme of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is, is basically, this John, the Apostle John, is telling Christians to be in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And of course, there are many things that we could uh, say about how we are to have fellowship, and John does, and we just had a wonderful time getting to meet these people, getting to teach these people. It was really a beautiful thing. It was my very first time in Cambodia. Um, I know it was Matt's first time out of the country, and uh, Matt and I just, you know, obviously had a great time. I know Lee had a good time, and, and I'll just tell you this. Uh, if you've never had a chance just to be with Pastor Lee, he is a, he is a fun guy, he may not look fun sometimes, but he is a fun guy, and uh, we, we had so much fun together, um, you know, getting to serve the Lord and serve these people. The people of Cambodia are just so hospitable. They are so kind-hearted. Uh, you know, they were very welcoming to us, very appreciative of us. Um, you know, as we got to teach uh, these wonderful lessons in First, Second, and Third John, just how they received uh, the truth from God's word was just, I mean, just absolutely amazing. They, uh, at the very, the very last day, they got up and shared their testimonies about what they've learned from First John, uh, well, really from all three of the books, and just to hear the passion and the excitement that they have for the Lord, that they have for, you know, being with one another. Um, the country of Cambodia, I believe, is about 97% Buddhist and about 2% Christian, and, and I think about when Paul says in Romans chapter 10, as he's quoting from, I think, Isaiah 52, when he says, how beautiful are the feet that go to present the good news, and we know that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people are so thrilled, are so excited to go to their Buddhist friends to share the gospel, to go into their communities, to go into their villages, and to share the gospel. And it was so refreshing to see. Uh, it was so great to hear. Uh, uh, I believe it was maybe the second day of the conference. They were fighting each other to come, each other to come take pictures with us. And I mean, they were lined up, you know, 20, 30 of them just coming to take pictures of us. And they would run and just hug us. And they were asking us to take pictures. And they would say thank you. And it was funny. They were really kind of treating us like we were special people. And they don't know we're just a bunch of nobodies. And uh, it was just really cool to see that. Never, never experienced. I mean, the youth never asked me to take a picture with them, and so uh, that's not true. But uh, but it was really cool to to experience that. But even greater than that, just the, the love that they have for the Lord, the love that they have for each other, was just so refreshing to see. 
Um, and uh, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Listen, it's a completely different world over there. Um, I mean, I think pretty much every day we had Cambodian food. Uh, we did have a few things here or there that wasn't, but I was very grateful to come back home and get, you know, I, I love Asian food, but I was ready for a cheeseburger when I got back home. And, uh, but I mean, it was really very, very special week for us. Um, and I'm so grateful to the Lord, grateful uh, for our church here to allow us to go. Um, and, and hopefully I have the opportunity to go back in the future. Um, man, just, just to see, um, just again, the love, the appreciation they have and the thirst they have for the word of God. Um, you know, far too often do we see churches who just try to entertain uh, and, and try to, you know, have a big production rather than just have the sheep feed upon the word of God. And they were people that were willing and ready to, to receive God's word. And, uh, man, it was just such a special thing to see. And, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I'll just say, too, that thank you for being a mission-minded church and being a church that's on board with, with sending, you know, to make disciples of every nation. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. And the one thing that I kept coming back and thinking about was the, it's evident that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Right, like regardless of what their circumstances were, um, where the, what their backgrounds are, they had Jesus, and it, it was just evident the way they they sang and danced and smiled and fellowshiped with one another, and it, may, it convicted me in a lot of ways where I complain about little things that have no eternal significance, right? Or I stress about things that have no eternal significance when all they have is Jesus, and that's enough. So it's a good reminder for me and a good challenge for all of us to consider that. Is the joy of the Lord my strength? Um, is it the, what excites me to get up every morning? But thank you for being a sending church. We are grateful for the opportunity. And um, I don't know if, if you mentioned it, but 24 people came to know the Lord in Cambodia. So praise God for that. There are more. Amen. That's right. And so the Lord saves and um, can't wait to see just the continued revival in Cambodia. Thank you all. The unseen battles is what we're talking about. A little, few little messages on spiritual warfare and the work of Satan. Uh, I might add uh, a little perspective. Uh, that big picture you see with all those people there, we started about 12, 13 years ago with uh, about 11 pastors. That's why it was called the Pastors Conference. And as time has gone on, it has morphed. And now uh, they're bringing lost people and when um, I got the opportunity to share and give an invitation, and as soon as I started to make the plea for people to come to Christ, the pastors would stand up, and they would walk over to their people. And I went, oh, that's pretty interesting there. And uh, they just kept on coming. And there was, uh, I believe it was 24 people accepted the Lord, and there were so many so many rededications to the Lord and renewal to ministry that, I mean, the, the language barrier keeps us from really being engaged with those kind of things. But Kyle and Amy were at work and uh, really a blessing. Kyle and Amy share their love for you and always their thankfulness for allowing them to be on ministry there. And uh, uh, Kyle tells me every single time I go, and he usually does it, me and him somehow or another just seemed to migrate early in the morning 
and uh, sitting there in the little restaurant there, and he just goes, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when all those Cambodians are coming over and grabbing you and hugging you for what's done here? And I, it was overwhelming to me because I, I just laugh. And I used to say, man, I've, I've had so little to do with this other than just go and teach. I mean, I really, uh, you know, what, what can I do? I mean, it is humbling to know that I can't talk to them. I can't do anything other than I can do through Kyle as he speaks, and it's just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when we get out of the way, it's an amazing what the Lord does. And, and I know that uh, that's true of all the places that we get to go. I noticed that we have Center of Hope coming up this Wednesday, and I know that, uh, is it this Wednesday, Debbie? Did she say Yes. Thursday, this Thursday, she needs help over there, and uh, be sure to get with her later and sign up to help with that. All right, Luke chapter 22. When you see things in the Bible that Satan did, you need to pay real close attention to it because it's a pretty good indicator of what he does now. So what he did correlates to what he will do. We know that he did things with a strategy. He did things that is obvious from the big picture of you, from looking and seeing all the things he did, that he was always against the work of the Lord, obviously. He was always against the advancement of the kingdom of God. He was always against people worshiping Jesus, and we saw that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the temptation experience that Jesus had after that 40 days of wilderness experience, that, that who you're going to worship is always a matter for Satan. Uh, promising things he can't deliver is always uh, a thing that he's involved with. And, and I think that this story about the sifting of Peter gives us a real practical uh, barometer, perhaps, to, to look at and see what he is about today, and what he will do. So let's look at this story of Peter's denial and, and just draw out some things that perhaps we need to see. So Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, paying attention to what and how Satan did there in the Scriptures, and that helps us to prepare with, with what he does now. All right? Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, the idea of sift, of course, is you separate with the sifting pan, uh, the big from the little, the chaff from the fruit, from the, what you want and what you don't need. And Satan, obviously Jesus has the information, and I, I like to think about this, like Jesus got the intel, right? He knows what Satan wants, and he said that Satan has asked to sift him like wheat. And, and so Satan wants to separate Peter from who he is, from what he wants, from what he knows is right. He wants to sift him from conviction, 
to compromise. He wants to shake him from a professing, a proclamation of who Jesus is to a denial. And it's very interesting here that you see that Satan asked to sift him. So we know that Satan today, he wants to tear us apart. He wants to divide us. He wants to take away our testimony. He wants to take away our conviction. He wants us to compromise with the world. That's what he wants. And we also understand from this scripture here today, from verse 31, that he has to ask for permission. He, he does not have carte blanche. He can't just go and do all he wants to do. But we see that mysterious and unique relationship there is between good and evil. God is in control, and God is allowing Satan to go and come. He's allowing Satan to do what he does, but he does so under the permission, which is an interesting thing. So nothing is accomplished that God doesn't have a mind about, but he's almighty, and he would know. And so here you see that he desires to sift Peter. He's taking a shot at him. Why Peter? Why do you reckon he's taking a shot at Peter? Well, we know that Peter becomes the great leader. We know that Peter is a man that has tremendous courage in his life. He possesses conviction. Uh, Peter is going to have the ability to have the kind of faith that allows him to face tremendous pressure. And, and tremendous odds. And yet, at this point, the pressure is what he falls to. Isn't that true in the Christian life? So much of the time, in a quick transition, people turn from one way and they become another way very, very rapidly. We can fall from the heights or we can rise from the lows. And that's what you see taking place here with Peter. In verse 32, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Well, we see in verse 32 something that we just never need to lose sight of. Jesus is always at work. He says, Peter, I've prayed for you. He uses the word, I've pleaded in prayer. I have gone to the Father on your behalf. And we know that Jesus is in that place of intercessory for us today. And he says, I've pleaded for you in prayer. I've pleaded that your faith would not fail. And so Jesus is always at work doing spiritual battle for us. He's always at work. We see that there is this constant struggle taking place between uh, Jesus and the evil world. And, and we see that in verse 32. Now, isn't it interesting that he says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. But when it does, I want, to, I want you to repent. And when you do turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. So he says, I've prayed for you. I have prayed that you would not fail. But when you do fail, and it's coming. So, obviously, Jesus understands all those things. Repeat, repent, and strengthen your brothers. And so, Jesus recognizes that this failure 
that Peter is about to experience, obviously, is going to be used of the Lord in Peter's life. And we need to keep that in mind, that when we do fail, as soon as we can, we need to return and repent and turn back to God. Verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Man, his, his pride. His pride is all over the place here, isn't it? Peter the fisherman, Peter brash, Peter impulsive, and we see that showing up here again. You know, there's one thing about pride that will help us, I think, identify pride in our life. You know what pride never wants? Pride never wants help. Pride never wants anyone to strengthen them. Pride never wants anyone to come alongside and, and say, hey, I'll help you do this. Peter says here, Lord, I don't need any help. Lord, don't you know who I am? Let's just sit a spell here and let me talk to you straight. Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you. I am ready right here and now to even die for you. He wasn't anywhere close to being ready to stand the test of this, this experience. And he says, I'm ready to go to prison and I'm ready to die for you. He was so controlled, consumed by pride. And, and, and that's what pride does. The truth is here, and the lesson for us here is we can never defeat Satan when we're full of ourselves. We never can. We are not capable. We are not able. We, from ourselves, do not have enough strength. We do not have enough depth for us to be able to resist the temptation of Satan by ourselves. And it, Peter learns the lesson. It's a hard lesson to learn. But at this particular time in his life, because of the pressure that he's under, because of what's going on, because of the environment, and the environment is ramping up. Peter is a smart cat. He knows that things are beginning to change, and there's a great political pressure. There's a great religious pressure that Jesus is experiencing and going to experience that they're experiencing. And, and yet his pride, he's so full of himself. He says, I don't need any help. You can, you can pray for me all you want, but man, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to even die for you. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, let me tell you something. That's a, I love that phrase that is used about what Jesus had to say here. Let me tell you something. You need to hear something. You need to understand something, Peter. You may think you're everything. You may think you've got the world by your hands. You may think you've got that tiger by the tail, but let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Now, that's a big contrast from, Lord, I'm willing to go to prison for you. Lord, I'm willing to die for you. Nah, let me tell you something. Not only are you not ready to go to prison, and not only are you not ready to die for me, you will deny me by the morning. Then Jesus says here in verse 35, when I sent you out to preach, excuse me, I got to go a little further. 
A little jet lag there. Turn to uh, verse 54. Verse 54. Maybe I need 34. I've already said that. That's a good one. Verse 54. Make you uncomfortable. Someone's losing their mind right before your very eyes. Verse 54, so this is the arrest. Learn these little lessons here. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. That's Caiaphas. You can go see Caiaphas' house today. It's quite interesting. And that's where they initially take Jesus for the first set of the inquiry that they will have with him. And so they arrest Jesus, and they led him to the high priest's home. And look what that scripture says there. And Peter followed at a distance. Good lesson for us right there, isn't it? He followed at a distance. Now, here's a fella that heard the Lord say, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. That before the morning, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And, and, and he's got the pride to follow at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it in verse 55. And Peter joined them there. Now, outside of Caiaphas' house today, they've built a little courtyard, and it's got a little fireplace around it, and it's got a nice, beautiful little statue that commemorates this experience right here. And I find it very humorous when I see that statue and I see that, that, that uh, little courtyard that they're commemorating Jesus being arrested and being before Caiaphas and, and they are more or less commemorating the fact that Peter tries to blend in. He follows at a distance. No one, he doesn't want anyone to know that he is with Jesus. And then it's at night. It gets a little cool in the desert at night. And so the guards and the people that are around, they, they got them a little fire going, and they're warming themselves by the fire. And Peter joins them. So we see him at a distance. Already the setting is being shaped for denial. Already. He, he's already fallen victim to it. He, he, he doesn't want to stand out, which is, you know, preparation, preparation for denial. And then the guards light a fire, and he tries to fit in with the guards that arrested Jesus. I'm just going to, be, I'm just going to kind of blend in. Man, Satan uses that so much. Just fit in. Just blend in with the world. Blend in with the enemy. Don't, don't be seen as, you know, different than other people. Just kind of go with the flow. And, and you might survive this if you can just become one of them. Isn't that the heart of most temptations that believers experience today? Satan is shrewd. He is smart. He, he recognizes our fears. And, 
and, and he places things before us that, that will cause us to always get off the mark just a little bit. And here he is. You say, well, he, at least he was close by. Yeah, but he was from a distance. And he's not really close by now. He's wanting to warm himself with a fire, with the guards. And so while he's warming himself with the guards, we see there in verse 56, a servant girl. Now, a servant girl is probably about 13 or 14 years age. It's a young teenage girl. Now, this is Peter. This is rough Peter. This is Peter that works all day pulling the nets in and mending the nets, and, and he's, he's tough and he's rough, and he says, man, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to not let anything happen to you, Jesus. By George, I'm ready to go to prison for you, and I'm ready to die for you. That Peter, a servant girl, noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Look what Peter does. He denied it. He denied it. Now, you were just told you're going to deny me by Jesus. How did that happen? Well, he's being caught in the flood. The temptation is taking over. And he is trying to do it all by himself. Pride is in control, and a servant girl says, I think you're one of them. He goes, woman, I don't even know him. After a while, now wait a minute, Peter, Jesus told you that you would deny him three times. Now, you denied him once. Why don't you learn from that? Well, the fear, the pressure is just way too much. And after a while, we don't know how long that is, but after that first question that he received about being with Jesus, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. Peter, strike two. And now, an hour later, he'd been sitting out there by that fire. Peter, hadn't you thought, Man, you need to choke up. You got two strikes on you. I mean, you got to swing at anything close. You got to prepare yourself right here. But no. Then that's usually how it happens with temptation, isn't it? Under great pressure. No. On autopilot, not aware, not self aware of the situation, not focused, not guarding yourself not guarding yourself. And every time you watch a baseball game where they got two strikes on them, think about this scripture. Think about what that, that batter does. He guards himself. He, he, gets, he, he, he shortens his stride a little bit. He's going to shorten his swing a little bit because he's got two strikes. And here, Peter's got two strikes. He should have he repented at this point. He should have reversed his actions at this point, but he doesn't. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. You know what I think happened here? Peter ran his mouth a little bit, and they heard his accent. 
Because he's, gonna, he, he's got a Yankee accent to these Jerusalem people. And I reckon they heard his accent. Now, the Scripture didn't say that, but that's, the, that's what I think. They noticed him. He'd been with them. But they're sitting around. He talks different, doesn't he? he he's, he's strange. I believe he's a Galilean. This is a Galilean. Jesus is a Galilean. And, and everybody that's with him are Galileans, which was true at this point. And he couldn't keep his mouth shut. That's what I think. It makes perfect sense to me that he couldn't stay quiet. And what does Peter say in verse 60? Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And there's good indication in, in the language here that he cussed. That he cussed. He said, I guarantee you, I blankly blank are not with him. There's intensity in this third strike. I mean, he's failed twice in the, this third one. He just, he just shouts to the rooftops, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. He didn't last until sunrise. He didn't last. And look in verse 61. This is intense. To me, this is very, very powerful. This is, this is a good indicator of, of the dynamic of this situation here. At that moment when the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard Weeping bitterly. The pain that he's experiencing at this point. Oh, the sorrow. He went from bragging, I'll go to jail for you, I'll die for you, to denying him three times. I'm not with him. I don't know him. Some lessons for us to learn from this story. First lesson, I think, is very clear. Confidence in flesh will not prepare you for Satan's attacks. Pride will not prepare you for Satan's attacks. When you're under pressure, when you're under pressure is a time to really guard your heart. You have two strikes on you. It's the bottom of the ninth. You're under pressure. You're under pressure at work. You're under pressure at school. You're under pressure in relationships. Your, pre your family is under pressure. You're just under pressure. There's, there's deadlines. There's problems. There's difficulties. And, and you're just, you just feel the pressure building. That's when Satan is most likely to attack. And you need to be careful of the times that you're under pressure. When you're under pressure, is certainly not the times we fool yourself. It's a time to recognize that you need help. You need help from the Lord. You need Him to pray for you. You need to pray. You need to lean on the Lord. You need the Lord's help. You need the God's people's help. You need people in your life to help you when you're under great pressure. We all need that. None of us is exempt for that. And if you do fail, if you do 
give in, if you do deny the Lord, if you do fall victim to Satan's temptation, repent of your failure as soon as possible. Turn. Don't waste a failing. Because failure is never final. Failure is never final. This story of Peter's denial, it's about the denial. It's about the temptation. Obviously it is. But you know what it's probably about more than that, perhaps? It's about the restoration. It's about the reconciliation. It's about Peter changes. Peter becomes someone different in just 50 days. 50 days of time, Peter's not the same guy. He's just not. And we know that because in Acts chapter 2, if you'll turn over there and look, it's an amazing thing considering the denial that um, we see here with Peter. We see here the failure. We see here him giving in. I mean, he weeps bitterly. He says no, that he doesn't know him to three different people and one of them being a servant girl. And he turns from a coward, a denier, and someone that's completely broken to on the steps of the temple in front of at least 3,000 people. At least 3,000 people. More. A great crowd of people. And temple guards and the workers in the temple, Pharisees and Sadducees, all kinds of religious people are there. There are people from all over the country there, different languages, all before him. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stepped forward. 120 of them, 120 in the upper room praying. After the ascension of Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem as instructed. They prayed. They stayed there. And then when the appointed time come, led by the Holy Spirit, I reckon on top of the stairs, and, and the stairs is wide. It's probably 75 yards wide. It's probably a good 75 year, five yards long. It's, it's quite a spectacular set of stairs that ascends into the temple. Peter stepped forward. Now, how do you explain that other than he had seen the risen Lord? I can't explain it. How do you go from a denier, a failure, a coward, to in front of all those people, you would step forward? I reckon he had seen the risen Lord. And he experienced the Lord on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. In John chapter 21, he had that experience he says, Lord, is that you over there? Is that you we see over there on the beach? And he says, come. And he goes over there, and, and Jesus is grilling some breakfast. He's grilling up some fish. And he says to him three times, Peter, you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, no, Peter, do you love me? He said, no, Lord, you know I love you. And then the third time he said, do you love me? And, and, and Peter says, you, by George, you know I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. 
he got a chance to restore. And it says here, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. He got their attention. And he says, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he goes on to present to them who Jesus is. That's a remarkable change. So, no one's ever out. No one ever has failed so bad they're beyond the Lord's lifting them up, supporting them, guiding them, leading them, and using them again. And, and I think that this lesson of failure was just what Peter needed to be able to move forward and step forward in front of all these people. A man of courage, a man of great conviction, and a man of great faith. Pay attention to what Satan did so that you have an understanding of the things that Satan will do now. Father, we pray you'd help us today to learn from this lesson, to grow from it, and, and Lord, help us to guard our hearts, help us to guard our minds, help us, Lord, to, 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 be, to be mindful of Satan's schemes and, and, and Satan's plans to cause us, Lord, to perhaps lose our way, to fail, to make poor choices, to take away from your glorious kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.